Snow White and the Seven Dwarves is not only a classic animation in the Disney canon, it is actually Disney's very first film, released all the way back in 1937, before World War II and the golden age of Hollywood cinema. Based on the original 1857 tale by the Brothers Grimm, the simple yet bizarre storyline of Snow White continues to be retold time and time again across generations. Why is this? What themes make it one of the most enduring fairy tales of all time? Be prepared to be surprised at how this story is not only a retelling of the Bible, but a tale that especially warns against the vices of jealousy, while at the same time providing a remedy to it. You're listening to The Myth Pilgrim, and I am Brother Lawrence of the Missionaries of God's Love. At its heart, the spiritual journey is a delightful and perilous adventure, just like the myths and fairy tales we love. This podcast is also a journey, learning from both wizards and saints, enchanted princesses and inner demons. Together, we'll discover how the great symbols of myth and fairy tale can guide us on our journey to God. Jealousy and envy plays no small part in the drama of the Bible stories, rearing its ugly head in the story of Cain and Abel, Joseph and his brothers, Saul and David, and of course, the very fall of Satan himself from heaven. Similarly, it features in some of our culture's greatest works of fiction, Shakespeare's Othello, The Count of Monte Cristo, The Great Gatsby, and so on. When it comes to fairy tales on this theme, you can't go past Snow White, whose very plot begins and ends with the jealousy of the fair queen of the land. For this episode's synopsis, I will use the Disney retelling of the story, but know that the Brothers Grimm version pretty much follows the same story arc, but with a little bit more embellishment on details around the evil queen's tricks and her terrible demise. The story of Snow White is about Snow White, a poor but kind young woman whose beauty is unparalleled, skin as white as snow, hair as black as ebony, lips as red as the rose. In the beginning of the story, she sings of the yearning for true love to find her and take her away from her lowliness. But when her song draws the attention of the prince, she runs off, afraid of him. The queen of the land soon becomes jealous of Snow White's beauty and charm and indeed finds out about it by consulting her famous magical mirror. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all? Whereas the queen was used to the mirror telling her that she was the fairest of them all, when Snow White is born, the mirror tells the queen, Famed is thy beauty, majesty, but hold a lovely maid I see. Rags cannot hide her gentle grace, alas, she is more fair than thee. In her mad jealousy, the queen hires a huntsman to kill Snow White in the woods. As in a hunter, not a spider. (laughs) To prove he had done this terrible deed, she commands that the huntsman brings her heart back in a box. So he goes out to do this, but when the huntsman sees the beauty and purity of Snow White, he cannot bring himself to do the evil deed, and instead tells her to run away into the forest. He returns to the queen, bringing the heart of a pig in a box, and deceives the queen into thinking Snow White is dead. In the forest, Snow White makes friends with many animals, who lead her to a quaint cottage where seven lovable dwarves live. Doc, Grumpy, Happy, Sleepy, Bashful, Sneezy, and Dopey. Seeing the house unkept and messy, she goes about tidying it up for them before falling asleep in the bedroom upstairs. 
When they return from a day in the mines, the dwarves are at first alarmed by their human guest but soon warm to her. Snow White makes them all dinner, but before doing so, demands that they go outside and bathe and become more presentable. But afterwards, there is much merriment and food and dance. Meanwhile, the Queen learns from the magic mirror that Snow White is still alive. Wanting to take matters into her own hands, she performs a terrible spell on herself and transforms into an old woman peddler in order to tempt Snow White to try and buy a poisoned apple. One bite would send her into an eternal sleep resembling death, with the only antidote being true love's kiss. The Queen then finds Snow White's cabin in the woods while the dwarves are out mining. Tricked by the disguise, Snow White takes a bite of the apple and falls into the forever sleep, and the Queen celebrates her apparent victory. However, Snow White's animal friends see what has happened and go and alert the dwarves who run home to save their beloved princess. They chase the Queen all the way to the clifftops before a lightning bolt zaps the ledge she was standing on and she plummets to her death. They rush home and find Snow White deep asleep. But because she was still so beautiful even in death, they couldn't find it in their hearts to bury her. So they keep her in a glass coffin and watch over her and carry her around wherever they go. As it were, that prince figure who had been previously enchanted by Snow White's song arrives and leans over to kiss Snow White, breaking the witch's curse once and for all. She awakens, but this time doesn't resist him or run away. He whisks her off upon his steed, and Snow White says goodbye to the dwarves before going off to be married to the prince, and they live happily ever after. Amen. So there you go. At its heart, you'd agree Snow White is quite a simple story, but because it's now on the Myth Pilgrim, can you identify the Judeo-Christian shape and themes in the narrative? Snow White represents a type of Eve, who is lowly and yet incredibly beautiful in the eyes of God. Woman, as depicted in Genesis, is the pinnacle of God's creation and its crowning beauty. Like Eve, Snow White is the mother of all living things, which is what the name Eve means, and has a close connection with all the animals in her kingdom. Satan, however, is jealous of all this privilege and so sets out to destroy Eve and her offspring once and for all. But he doesn't really succeed. In the tale, this is like the Queen, whose plans with the hunter and the poison apple don't really succeed in destroying Snow White. But the queen does drive her out of her original home, as Satan did with Eve, where she and Adam were exiled and had to fend and toil and work off the land. This is where the symbols of the dwarves come in. These little men work in the mines, toiling and hacking away at the land through the sweat of their brow. Significantly, dwarves are also small and humble and honest, living close to the earth, a detail we'll touch on later. The symbol of the poisoned apple is probably pretty obvious then, in that Satan also tempts Eve with an apple slash Mediterranean fruit, with the penalty of death entering the world for the first time. But as with the slumber in Snow White, it isn't a permanent death but more like sleep, able to be awoken with true love's first kiss. And who is our prince who stoops down from on high to awaken sleeping Eve and humanity from the curse of our deathly slumber? Of course it is. Zacchaeus! <laughs> Just joking. It's Jesus Christ himself, the real prince and literally the incarnation of true love. Capital T and capital L. I love how after Snow White awakens in the Disney film, the prince then whisks her off, literally towards a kingdom in the clouds. As if Disney was trying to drive home the message that this wasn't just an ordinary prince or an ordinary wedding, but one of heavenly origins. After all, Happily Ever After is not just a fairy tale ending, but the final chapter in the book of the Bible.
Having now offered you the Christian lens of the story, I will hone in on how Snow White can help us explore jealousy. First, it's worth asking, how does the church define jealousy? Well, it doesn't matter whether you're reading St. Thomas Aquinas, the Desert Father John Cassian, or just listening to Father Mike Schmitz, they all define jealousy in pretty much the same way. Feeling sadness at the blessing of another. It doesn't take much effort to familiarize yourself with this feeling if we are to take a moment to reflect on how jealousy may have plagued our own lives. While the Queen is jealous of the physical beauty of Snow White, we can be jealous of just about anything. It could be material things such as someone else's house or car or job or holiday, to someone else's relationships, their friends or or partner, spouse or kids. Or it could be something you simply do not or cannot have, a particular talent, inheritance, youth or the ability to have children. Whatever is the object of your jealousy, what's unusual about jealousy is that unlike other common sins, there is never any personal pleasure in indulging this sin, except for the disordered satisfaction of wishing the object of your jealousy to suffer. As such, jealousy is always a destructive and internally toxic sin, firstly within ourselves, but if left unchecked, externally too. The Church Fathers warn that jealousy opens up the door to many other sins, which is why traditionally it has been named as one of the cardinal sins. Reflect on the fact that the devil, the enemy of our souls, is pure, unadulterated jealousy. He was the greatest of the angels once, being named Lucifer, light bearer, who by all accounts was like the queen in Snow White, beautiful to behold in every sense of the word. But beautiful as he was, he was not beauty itself, for that title belongs to God alone, and this jealousy against God was hinted at in Isaiah 14, which says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn! How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low! You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high, I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will make myself like the Most High. In other words, the ambition to be like God was the reason for Satan's fall. But his humiliation goes even further. Having been cast down from heaven, he had another object to aim his jealousy, the human race, and in particular, Eve. Why? because the human race was bestowed a special type of dignity that is beyond even his own. The dignity of being made in the very image of God himself. What Satan had tried to seize through his own jealousy, a certain equality with God, God freely bestowed upon the human race. And to rub salt in the wound, God then becomes flesh himself through a woman, humbling himself to share in the dignity of our bodiliness. In other words, Jesus and the human race possess something that Satan will never ever have, a physical body, one that after the resurrection will radiate the beauty of God himself. And so, consumed by this jealousy, the wrath of Satan unleashes onto the world with no satisfaction ever possible for him, save the sickly destruction of human souls at all cost. If you don't believe that jealousy can drive a soul into destructive madness, you need only reflect on what Cain did to Abel, what Joseph's brothers did to Joseph, what King Saul wanted to do to David, and what the Pharisees did do to Jesus. 
What's the hope for us then? Well, the seven dwarves offer us a few answers and provide something of an antidote to the queen. While the queen was powerful and unsatisfied with what status she already had, the dwarves were very meek and were more than satisfied with whatever little they did have. The extent the queen was hollowed out in jealousy, the dwarves were filled up with gratitude. Their now famous song, Hi Ho, Hi Ho, with home from work we go, is actually a song about their contentment, not only of their simple work, but also of the simple home that they were looking forward to return to. They were truly a humble people, with the root word of humble meaning of the earth or of the ground. Satan hated when God cursed him to slither on the ground as a serpent and to eat dust, which is in contrast to the dwarves, who were also people of the earth, but they in fact loved it. Their very joy was to work the lowly ground to unearth the hidden jewels there. Their joy was found in the ground, rather than in bringing another person to the ground. Yet if anyone in the story had anything to be resentful about, it would be them, for they were not born with physical beauty or grace, and yet they were the happiest and freest creatures. Even their names seem to point to the fact that they were not bothered by their quirky traits like sneezy, grumpy or sleepy, but readily accepted the way they simply were. So the first remedy to jealousy is to learn to be a dwarf. It begins with recognising and naming the many blessings we do have. I have often found that when I find myself gripped by jealousy or envy at something someone else has, that one thing I don't have suddenly overshadows the many many other good things I do have. This is crazy, but it is also the classic move of the devil, who right at the beginning of Genesis, wanted Adam and Eve to cast their eyes away from the abundant blessings of paradise onto the one tree they couldn't have. This is why fostering a heart of gratitude on our many blessings surely must be a starting remedy to jealousy. You can certainly ask God for this awareness and make it a habit to give thanks to him in prayer. But we're human. When the bitterness and negativity of jealous feels overpowering, I have found that physically grounding myself in the present moment becomes very important. Just notice your own breathing in and out, the beating of your heart and the feeling of your feet on the floor. This centeredness actually grounds you in the goodness of simply being alive, which is an incredible gift. Life itself is a gift from God, and it would do us well to remember that every hour we have on this earth is priceless. From this unshakable truth, one can slowly rebuild their thoughts and feelings about how we want to then go forth. If you're enjoying this episode of The Myth Pilgrim, do consider sharing it with your friends so that we can together encounter God veiled in our favourite tales. I'm always open to your feedback and ideas too, so always feel free to contact me on The Myth Pilgrim Facebook page or through the website at themythpilgrim.com. There's a great truth that echoes right throughout the Bible, that while God loves everyone equally, His favour is particularly drawn towards those who are humble. Psalm 138 says, For though the Lord is high, He humbles the lowly, but the proud He knows from afar. While Proverbs 3 says, Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favour. It strikes me that in Snow White, the mighty queen seized after beauty, and it eluded her, while the humble dwarves sought nothing, but yet beauty was given to them.
in the form of the person Snow White. Jealousy always seizes. Humility opens up to receive. If the hand of fate was at work in the story, it clearly favoured the dwarves and shunned the queen, choosing to use them to bring Snow White and the prince together. The dwarves never sought to be great or influential; they were just faithfully doing the thing they were called to do: mining. See, jealousy becomes a non-issue when we know that we are faithfully playing the part God is asking of us. Here's an analogy. In soccer, no defender becomes jealous of the striker because he knows his rightful place is to play the role of the defender. Rather, will he not rejoice when the striker scores an amazing goal, even though he himself will never score a goal? Or using Saint Paul's "one body, many parts" imagery in Corinthians, no eye becomes jealous of the mouth if the eye knows that God has asked him to see rather than to taste. Rather, the eye instead celebrates at the ability of the mouth to taste. So, if you want to know the ultimate remedy to jealousy, pray that you can celebrate your place in God's story, but also that you can celebrate the place of others. Pray for the person you are most jealous of, that you may celebrate them as much as our defender would celebrate that striker. For jealousy only arises when we are not content with the place God has placed us in. This is what happened to the queen. Despite being the ruler of the land with the privilege to govern and protect, she instead seeks after something that was not rightfully hers to control. If Snow White warns us against anything, it is to never lose sight of that bigger picture or that bigger story and the unique part that we are all meant to play. As we draw near the end of this episode, I want to share a few lines with you from the powerful Litany of Humility. If you want a deadly weapon against jealousy or feel gripped by its tentacles, try praying this litany daily and see what happens. This could be a wonderful practical pilgrim reflection for you. And so I will finish up today with a few lines of this prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Litany of Humility. By Cardinal Raphael Mary Delval. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being honoured, deliver me, O Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, O Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed. Deliver me, O Jesus, that others may be loved more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that in the opinion of the world others may increase and I may decrease. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that others may be chosen and I set aside. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that others may become holier than I, provided that I may become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen.